So tonight we're in the book of 3 John, and so we're just going to walk through it. It's only about 15 verses. We're going to walk through it a few verses at a time, and then we'll be done. So 3 John, I'm going to read verses 1 through 4 to start. So 3 John, verses 1 through 4. The elder to the beloved Gaius, or Gaius, I'm, I'm going with Gaius, I don't know, it'll probably alternate, but I'm, either way is fine. So the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you, and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear my children are walking in the truth. So what we do is we read a few verses, and then we talk about it, and then we move to the next one. A few verses and talk about the next one. So we went one through four. John calls himself the elder in this. That's kind of how he addresses himself, right, is the elder. And, and some of you may know or don't know, elder doesn't necessarily mean he's old. Okay, the New Testament was written in Greek, and elder is the same word for pastor in Greek, all right? So he's, he's a pastor writing to a member of his church. So there's a pastoral thing going on here, but there's more than that, okay? It's not just a work relationship. Gaius is called beloved three times in this book, and it's only 15 verses. So a fifth of the book is dedicated, you've got like that math, right? A fifth of the book is dedicated to calling Gaius beloved and telling him how much John cares about him. And in fact, here it says, he also says he loves Gaius in truth. And the word for love here is agape. And all the church kids, agape is the word here, right? And, and it means unconditional Christian love. Unconditional Christian love. That's the theme of 3 John, of this book, is Christian love and unconditional Christian love. So as you guys are reading through this book, maybe in your quiet time, read through it with that lens. What's John saying about unconditional love here. But here's the thing too. Remember, it's, it's a pastor and his, and his church man, uh, his church person. Um, two people who worship Jesus, there is a bond there, an unconditional agape bond between them. Okay? So keep that in mind. There's an unconditional bond between two people who love Jesus, an unconditional agape bond. Look at three and four. For I rejoiced greatly, it means overjoyed there in the Greek, I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and told me of your truth, that indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. So John is overjoyed, he is thrilled that Gaius is doing something here. Okay, there's some, some of the Gaius is doing has just got John just over the moon, excited and overjoyed. And he's thrilled in verse 3, as indeed you are walking in the truth. John is thrilled, and this is important, John is thrilled that Gaius is, ready, living the Christian life. John is thrilled, just so pumped that Gaius is not out there trying to change the world, He's not out there trying to do something awesome for God. He's trying to love God. He's trying to love his neighbor. He's trying to fight his sin. And it like even sounds boring like as I'm saying it, right? But John is ecstatic that Gaius is doing this. And this is why this is important. So 
You guys may know, so Ty as the red beard in the back, the older gentleman back here, he's, hey Ty, um, he's wonderful, he's great. A few years ago, Ty and I were working together just trying to, to grow in the Lord together, and this is this crazy thing that Ty would do, it just like blew my mind. Um, and Ty always did this, it was so weird. I would give him a book to read, and he'd read it. Like the, the nerve, right? Like it was insane. Or we would be talking about prayer and stuff, and Ty would be like, okay, and he'd go home, and he would pray about it. And it was insane. So, and, and I know like we're kind of joking, but think about how rarely you and I actually get in there and pray. Think about how little we, you and I, and it's not a guilt thing, just hang on. Think about how little you and I actually read our Bibles, right? How little we actually get in there and read our Bibles. And, and it's not a small thing. In fact, I think one of Satan's biggest lies in our life is how can your life really change from reading a couple pages of the Bible every day? Seriously, you really think that's going to make an impact? And deep down, we're like, you know, we kind of believe that lie. That it really isn't that big a deal. That it's really not worth celebrating. Which is why 55,000 people go to Passion Conference and five are in your Bible study. Because we don't actually believe what John believes. We don't actually celebrate what John celebrates. God in heaven, John the Apostle, one of Jesus' inner circle of three, Peter, James, and John, rejoices more over one person diligently trying to get after it in their Bible than 55,000 attending a conference. And listen, I, there's nothing wrong with conferences. I love a good conference, all right? I'm going to three this semester. It's awesome. I love conferences. But God has ordained that we get to know Him not through conferences, but through His Word. And so we get to know Him better at this conference if the conference pushes His Word. And then in verse 4 we see, I have no greater joy than to hear my children are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy. Nothing gets me more excited, according to John, then when someone grows in the Bible, when someone grows closer to Jesus, and this has to be the heartbeat of this group, that has to be the heartbeat of PV and college. Not because I think it's a, a good idea, but because it's what the Bible teaches. Now, we're going to have, like, we have a board game night coming up, which for whatever reason is always a massive hit. It's a lot of fun in February. Uh, we're bringing Nerf War back. We're going to do plenty of fun stuff. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. Heretics. It's going to be awesome. So, but... But listen, but we, and, and as much fun as that is and as great as that is, we want to align our hearts with God's heart, right? Which means that we want to celebrate the things that God celebrates. And John's joy, the Holy Spirit's joy, is when his people daily, normally follow after him. That's what he wants. That's what we think is so easy, but is really so difficult to do. That seems so simple, but we're really so bad at it that we need to focus on. That's why God loves it, is following after him. That's our goal. Christians who agape love each other, who put their lives on hold for each other because they are bonded together by the truth of who Jesus Christ is. Verses 5 through 8, 5 through 8. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers though they are, 
who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers in the truth. This is one of the biggest missionary support texts in the Bible. That's what Gaius is doing. He's supporting these missionaries. So John is super happy with Gaius, but why specifically? Like he's following the Lord, but specifically what is he doing? This is one of those things. Gaius is supporting fellow believers, brothers and sisters who have gone out for the sake of the name, meaning he has been supportive of people who are traveling preachers and teachers and missionaries. Look at five and six and think about it through that lens. It is a faithful thing that you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified of your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. In the first century, traveling teachers and preachers and, and all that sort of thing, they depended on the kindness and the hospitality of the church in the city where they were teaching at the time, right? They would, they would depend on their hospitality. The members would house them, feed them, clothe them, pay them, etc., right? In fact, in 2 John, verse 10, John warns about supporting teachers who aren't Christians. Now, we're supposed to love them, but don't let them stay with you. Don't be seen to be supporting them and their ministry of lies. But here, John knows that Gaius is supporting real Christians as they pass through the town and teach. And these real Christians are going off and telling other people, you need to stay here. Stay with him. He supports us. He meets your needs. A couple of things here. The support that John gives these missionaries, housing, food, finances, clothing, is described as love. So meeting their needs is summed up and described as love. Look at 5 and 6. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified of your love before the church. John describes this as love. Listen, here's why I'm repeating this 50,000 times. Because love, according to the New Testament, is affection that leads to the meeting of needs. According to John, love is affection that leads to the meeting of needs. I see how you've met their needs. I see how you've loved them. James 2, 15 to 16 Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and be fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is that? In other words, to cut through the Hebrew, who cares if you didn't do that? And, and the big thing in our age is, is people saying, we don't need to worry about others. We need to get the gospel to these people. We need to, te we need to teach the Bible to these people. And you're right, but here's the thing. You may have clean water for them, but if that clean water's in a dirty bottle, they're not going to drink it. And in the same way, if we say that we believe in Jesus and want to preach the gospel to people, but we ignore the needs of the homeless or, of, or, or the historic and present unfair treatment of our black brothers and sisters... Or that one in-law who does it to themselves, and I know, I'm not trying, they do it to themselves. I get it. They do it to themselves. But if we ignore them, 
If we ignore the immediate needs of the people around us, and then we say we love Jesus, to quote, John, to quote James, who cares? What does it matter? To love is to meet the needs of others. Yes, the gospel is clean water that we need to get to these people. But if it's in this dirty water of, oh, I'm not about social justice. Oh, and it's, look, it's not, here comes woke Ryan. Here comes social justice. This is the apostle John saying these things. To love is to meet the needs of others. If the bottle is clean, I'll consider drinking the water. You know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Second, treat them in a manner worthy of God. Verse 6. Who testify to your love before the church, you will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. How should I treat these missionaries? Oh, easy. Just treat them the way you treat God. So what does he mean there? Are you supposed to like, like, what's going on? I think this is what he means. If God came to your house, I think your dinner plans would like change. Fair, right? Like you'd have to like record the movie and watch it later. You might have to put some of your plans on hold. When it comes to God's kingdom and mission, that should be our first priority. It should be our first priority financially. It should be our first priority in terms of how we spend our time. Because we, you and I, and I do this too, we so often give God the scraps left at the table. Does that make sense? Uh, I've got 10 minutes left uh, before I go to bed. Okay, I'll read a little bit of my Bible. I'll do that. I'll tithe whatever's left over. I'll give whatever's left over. The love that Gaius is showing these missionaries that John is so pumped about is a first priority love. You know what I'm saying? He's treating them with a love that is first priority. God's kingdom is the first priority to Gaius. And what's crazy is when we make the... Because I know that that sounds like here, welcome to PVN College, let me drop this guilt trip on you for a minute. But this is... What's crazy is when we make the mission of God, when we make the mission of God and His kingdom our first priority, listen, college students, our lives actually get less stressful, not more. I can't prioritize God right now, Ryan. I'm too stressed. Chances are that's the very reason you are stressed. Does that make sense? Chances are that's the reason you are stressed. Matthew chapter 6 Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? But seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. So notice, Jesus doesn't say that those things aren't important. He just says, we need a new top priority, and then all these other priorities will fall into place. It's not health, wealth, and prosperity. It's not easy, but it is less stressful. And as you guys get older, and as you guys get out into the world, you'll see that there's a difference there. Following God and putting his kingdom first is not easy, but the peace that follows with that through your stressful things, that's what John is talking about here. John's not trying to add more onto you. He's actually trying to lighten the load, prioritizing Jesus' kingdom. Last one of this section. These people go out for the sake of the name, and yet they are not named. You see that? They go out, verse 7, and when I find it, I'll read it. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. 
There's a guy in the book of Philippians. I can do all things through Christ, blah, blah, blah. There's a, there's a, there's a guy in the book of Philippians named Epaphroditus. And when we go through that in the youth, they're always like, I'm not even going to Who? Exactly. Chances are, you and I are not going to end up like King David or Peter. We'll be like these people. Who? Are you okay with that? Are you okay if your entire destiny is follow Jesus, die, be forgotten here, live with Jesus forever? Being nameless in history, being forgotten, are you okay with that? In the youth, uh, a couple weeks ago, I'm the youth and college pastor, and in youth we went through the story of New Testament Joseph, so Jesus' dad, right? Joseph married a woman who everyone thought cheated on him. Think about that. The Holy Spirit got, really, the Holy Spirit got you pregnant, really? Like, who's going to believe that, right? So Joseph marries this woman who everyone thought cheated on him, so he loses his reputation, he loses his good name, And other than when he was 12, there's really no clear evidence of Jesus doing anything special until he's 30. And by that time, Joseph is never mentioned again, probably because he's died. Joseph's dreams were put on hold, and then he died. And I listened to a pastor talking about this, and the pastor says it like this. Does the cross have to be true for your life to be good? Does the cross have to be true for your life to be good? Meaning, if you found out tomorrow, we just, whatever, we found out tomorrow that Jesus was made up, that it was all a hoax. If you found that out tomorrow and you said, oh, well, okay. And like you didn't, and like we haven't lost anything because of that. Then we're probably not living for Jesus like we should. We're probably not sacrificing for Jesus like we should. Our pastor did a funeral for a guy today, uh, was 91, and he had served our church very faithfully for a long, long time. He and his wife both, he ran the kitchen for a long time. She was super involved, and then just kind of life happened. You know, I mean, when you get to 91, you can't go as far as you can go usually, right? And his hearing went away, and so they can't really talk on the phone a lot to the pastor, and then with COVID, they couldn't really visit a lot because, they're, they're, I mean, they're, they're very, very old, which is totally understandable. And he passed away, and because of COVID, there were five people at his funeral. The dude was 91, served the church faithfully, five people at his funeral. But listen, are you okay with that? If that is what happens to you, are you okay with that? Serving Jesus for years, and then dying and being forgotten here, five people at your funeral, and spending eternity with Jesus in heaven. That life is only good if the second half of that is true. And the good news is, the second part of that is true. For the sake of the name, is that okay with you? Because I promise you, it is infinitely worth it. Matt Chandler, who's a pastor you should look up. Woo! I'm trying to get emotional, but it's coming. Um, He says, the first few seconds of heaven 
will make up for a lifetime of suffering. The first few seconds standing there, and it's just all going to wash away. And then you get to spend year after year after year after year after year with Jesus, just knowing him better. Further up and further in with Jesus. The second half of that statement is true. Are you okay with being nameless and forgotten and five? This is, it's weird how like some churches never preach about this. Are you okay with five people at your funeral? But Christ is the first person you see after your funeral. Is that okay with you? It's totally worth it for the sake of the name. And then we meet a real downer named Diotrephes. All right, 9 through 10. Here we go. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he's doing. Let's go, John. Talking wicked nonsense against us and not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to put them and, and what hold on and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. So here's what's going on in this in this section. Diotrephes, I'm not gonna say it a lot, don't worry, is a is a opposite of Gaius. Okay? They're polar opposite, and I know it's a long name, but listen. Don't focus so much on his name. Focus on what he is. He's negative, arrogant, rebellious, divisive. It's like it was written in 2022. <laughs> it's interesting that we know some specifics here about what Diotrephes is doing that's so bad, but we don't really know all of them. Like, we don't really have a good grip on what he's doing that's so bad. And I think that's awesome, because here's why. And you guys will see this the longer you're in this. Sin doesn't always show itself in obvious ways, but we know it's there. In our divided age, in our divided age, listen, you can be right about something. You can, and I mean correct. You can be right about vaccines. You can be right about race. You can be right about politics. Notice I didn't tell you which side there because that's part of the point. Because you can be right, and in your rightness, you can run people over. You can demonize other people. And listen, as Christians, it's important to be correct. That's why we're here, to study the truth. It's important to be correct. But we forget that our sinful hearts can take even the right thing and make it an idol. Good things can still hurt us, and since they're good, we don't know that they're hurting us. So in a way, they're kind of worse than the bad things. And that's where this is so dangerous. He refuses to welcome the brothers. His views and his arrogance have led to him pushing people away, and he's doing it in Jesus' name. How many people were storming the Capitol with Jesus saves on the back of their t-shirts? Carrying crosses. Are you kidding? This is what happens when being, and, and I'm not saying they were correct, but this is what happens when valuing your correctness and you run people over with it. Now remember in the beginning, John's agape love of his people, right? It's John's agape love that drives him to deal with this. Verse 10, I will bring up what he's doing. 
I'm going to go there. You're going to meet me outside, and we're going to talk about this. True love, true agape, unconditional love, does not endorse wrong because it's rooted in the truth. We talked about this a lot. Your generation and my generation, we love Abba, Father. We love Daddy God, but we don't like the Old Testament God. But here's the problem with that. We don't want a fierce warrior God. We want a loving Father. The reason he is a fierce warrior is because he is a loving father. Do you see that? Take a, take a parent who loves their kid and then make fun of that kid. And watch how quickly that parent puts you into the wall, right? Like, don't do that. That's not like what you're supposed to do. Don't, don't do that, but you get what I'm saying, right? Like, watch. Like, the love of that parent is what drives them to deal with this. So we live in this world where it's not okay to correct people. You just need to love them. But the Bible's definition of love is, I love you so much, I have to say something. We deal with it. We address it. Listen, this semester, I think I can give the order off the top of my head. We're going to do next week's abortion. The week after that is transgenderism. The week after that is same-sex marriage. And then we're going race and politics. So we're going to have a blast over these next few weeks. And not because I'm insane or because I want to make it awkward, but because we love the truth here. And whether that truth is threatened by racism or by some view of marriage that deviates from the Bible, we need to talk about this. We will discuss this and, and bring this to light because the truth, what does Jesus say? The truth will set us free. The truth is what brings us comfort and peace. All right, let's finish. 11 and 12. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Now this third guy, Demetrius, has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony. You know that our testimony is true. So second guy, boo, Diotrephes, has an arrogance to him a cockiness, an unwillingness to listen to correction. Now listen, in the church today, I don't necessarily think it's bad politics or vaccine stuff or even race that is at root of making people sick to their stomachs with the church. It's the arrogance of us. This, this unwillingness to listen, this rolling of our eyes, that's what we have to pray about and spend time in Scripture rooting out of our own lives. How you say something is 90% of what you say. Does that make sense? How you say something is 90% of what you say. My wife is a teacher. Uh, she teaches middle school, so pray, like fast and pray for her. She, she teaches seventh grade social studies. And she says this all the time. She learned this from somewhere, but she says this all the time. Kids don't learn from a teacher they don't like. I'm trying to share the gospel with you. I'm trying to share the gospel with you. Well, bro, if you roll your eyes every time I talk about systemic racism, I'm not going to listen to you when you share the gospel with me. When you roll your eyes every time I try to share with you what matters to me and what my viewpoint is, I'm not going to listen to you when you share your viewpoint with me. Verse 11, don't respond to evil with evil. Don't respond to evil arrogance with evil arrogance right back. If you respond with evil, that's proof, verse 12, that you haven't seen God either. You may be correct in your theology and in, in your practice, but if you're, not, if you're trying to clap back at them, neither of you are doing it. 
Stick to the truth in kindness and be willing to let that sink you to the bottom. If that's what costs you, then that's what costs you, and that's okay. Because the cross is real. Remember the second half of the story? The second half, I promise you, the guy who we did the funeral for today, I promise you he's not like, oh, really, five people? Like he's like, like the crystal throne is like right there. And he's talking to Jesus. He doesn't, it doesn't matter that there was five people in this room. He doesn't care about that because the second half is real. The Jesus he's been serving for so long is real. And he's worth it. Listen, Christian courage is not the courage to get the last word. Christian courage is the courage to be crucified. That is a different courage than the courage of the world. Christian courage is not the courage to get the last word. It is the courage to be crucified. But here's the thing. Now get out there and be crucified. It's never going to happen. It's never going to work. Because we don't have this in ourselves. It can only happen when we are united by faith to the one who has already been crucified and has risen from the dead. There's this awesome... We went through Revelation in our Sunday school like a year ago, and it was like amazing. And there's this part of one of the seven churches where they're all about to be martyred. Like Jesus doesn't sugarcoat it. They're all about to be killed. And the, so what comfort are you supposed to... Like what are you supposed to say? Like what comfort are you supposed to give people who are going to be killed for their faith? And the, and the comfort he gives them is, I speak to you as the one who has died and has risen. That's the only way your life is going to be good if you live a life of crucifixion is believing in the resurrection. John ends his book in verse 15 by telling us to greet one another by name, which is interesting because this book is full of names. Do you notice that, these three different names? That's how the church gets better. That's how the world gets changed. Is Christians willing to treat each other humanely and, and, and sticking to the truth? Treating people humanely doesn't mean endorsing all their beliefs full send. You're going to see, we're going to talk about this over the next several weeks, of what the Bible teaches about these things, and more, probably. But as Christians being willing to love the other person, even when we know they're not going to give it back, even when we know they're going to make us look stupid, because we don't look stupid to the one person who matters, the one person who has died and has risen and has ascended to the right hand of the Father. It's going to be a good semester. Let me pray and then the band will come up.